You're listening to Unshackled Leadership, a lantern for black women. This podcast is produced to help black women in leadership become more centered by silencing their inner critic and creating strategies to become more confident and innovative. I'm your host, ICF Certified Executive Leadership Coach, Joya Jefferson-Nuri. And welcome back to Unshackled Leadership, a lantern for black women. As you know by now, we're in our fifth episode. Yay! As you know by now, this program is dedicated to assisting Black women in leadership roles achieve their highest goals, to break through their false upper limits, and make their dreams come true in the corporate world and in their personal world. Well, this show is going to air originally, debut a few days before we celebrate the second time. It's a federal holiday, Juneteenth. And as you all know, Juneteenth is celebrated because the black people, the the enslaved people in Texas were told in 1865, June 19th, that they were no longer enslaved, that it was the, the 13th Amendment had passed months earlier, and the Emancipation Proclamation had been signed two years earlier, two and a half years earlier, but now it was illegal to enslave them. What's interesting about the 13th Amendment is that you cannot enslave people unless you arrest them, which is where all the laws came, where everything black people did was illegal, thus the prison industrial complex. So back to Juneteenth. As I looked at Juneteenth and tried to figure out how we were going to mark that date, I wanted to explore the remaining discriminations that Black women, in particular Black people in general, face in this country. And one of the fixes, uh, with air quotes, has been DEIA and diversity, inclusion, uh, diversity, equity, inclusion, and accessibility. D-E-I-A. And I wanted to explore whether or not that was working. I wanted to know whether or not we could actually sit back and say that D-E-I-A was making a dent. And especially for Black women, as we climb the corporate ladder, the entrepreneurial ladder, and make space for comfortable retirements, if that's where we're going right now. And D-E-I-A goes back as far as 2003, where the federal government and corporations came together and said, we need to address these issues of discrimination, of language that may be dismissive in the workplace. And since 2003 and 2017, according to news reports, it pumped up the volume. And more companies decided that they wanted to be a part of this. Companies, associations, foundations, universities all wanted to be a part of this. But even today in 2023, only one third of the S&P 500 companies have DEI programs. Has there been any growth? I want to welcome to you today, welcome you today to my guest, who is a DEI expert has been working in professional development for her career, and she's Mariana, Mariama Boney. Mariama, thank you, and welcome to Unshackled Leadership. Hi, thank you, Joya. It's great to be here. Thank you, thank you. Um, I want to talk first about 
DEI. And let's talk about you first. Before we get into that, (laughs) tell us how you got on this path as an executive leader yourself, as a coach yourself. And now you're doing DEI. How did you get on that path? Yeah. So for me, as I was moving through and pursuing my educational career at Syracuse University in social work, I had an opportunity to continue to really think about um, what that path was going to be for young adults and really working with young people who were black and brown, economically disadvantaged um, black and Latino students when I say black and brown, but also those who are economically disadvantaged. And that really connects back to my family's legacy because that is work that my father has um, pursued, you know, and pursued in the 70s and really trying to diversify Syracuse University and create programs um, through state legislation programs such like HEOP and and uh, whatnot. And so that, you know, is really a long-term family legacy. And he passed in 1996. And then my mom decided that she would develop a business uh, called Creative Reflections in Syracuse, as well as an opportunity to help us and others see the reflection of themselves as individuals who were um, Black, African, American, and in the African diaspora. So I had a lot of that surrounding me. And I always say I got the education bug and so decided to continue to pursue that in higher education. And really it was in, I think, 1997 when I, after um, President Clinton, with executive order 13050 established the one america initiative which was his initiative the president's initiative on race um, for the united states where there were dialogue um, dialogue in community about race about diversity and then these issues around equity and inclusion and of course, accessibility also were coming up at that time. So this is, as you, as everyone knows, is not a new issue for us here in the U.S. And certainly, as we think about even back to 1997, when this executive order was put in place and all of these conversations were happening throughout the world, I had an opportunity to get trained as a community dialogue facilitator. Mm -hmm. And then the passion just continued to pursue, you know, continue to pursue that passion um, ever since and have continued to work in higher education and with associations and nonprofits and, and some corporations as well in this area around education and opportunity and training and learning and, and dialogue and helping people to have restorative dialogue in this area. That sounds beautiful. You're doing the work now. And before I get to the question of, is it working? I have a yes. few more questions before <laughs> we get to that one. Uh, sure. You know, There's a lot of um, controversy around DEI. So yeah. before we go any further, can you tell me what DEIA training actually looks like for companies, organizations? It, it, 
Yeah, it is so varied. And that could be part of the challenge that we see is that um, when we look at diversity, equity, inclusion, accessibility, and of course, we also can, I also um, include access in there because I think that that is an important element. It is so varied across institutions and across companies because each company has to really assess and evaluate, you know, where they are as it relates to their metrics, where they are related to their challenges and the issues that they're trying to overcome, as well as the opportunities and the gaps that they have. And so when we talk about diversity, equity, inclusion, and accessibility, we're looking at diversity in terms of certainly, you know, culture and representation. Then we're also thinking about equity and equity along those lines as it relates to representation, occult, uh, culture, identity, all of those different aspects that make us unique. Everything from race, ethnicity, gender, religion, uh, veteran status, um, elements that connect into being within a protected class. And so it really does vary across the gamut. And then we think about inclusion in terms of who has access, who doesn't have access, who feels welcomed, who feels like they belong, and whose voices are heard when, where, how. And then certainly accessibility, which we also know there are laws and legislation related to accessibility in particular as it relates to the ADA. And so mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. all of that um, is kind of like one big jar of jelly beans yeah, yeah, <laughs> where yeah. we have a, you know, we have a structure, um, you know, you have that jar that is kind of the foundation, but then you've got all the different colors and flavors of jelly beans and really trying to figure out, you know, what that means and what that looks like from organization yeah. to organization. You know, the, but the jelly bean bowl used to have only one jelly bean and that was the white one. Mm. And that jelly bean was male. Yeah. And the structure of corporate America associations, foundations and everything was based on a premise of white male supremacy Mm -hmm. and everybody else got what scraps were left if they were invited to the table. Mm -hmm. Black women are never invited to the table, even seldom now. Mm. So now we're celebrating Juneteenth, and yes. we're in 2023 with diversity, equity, inclusion, accessibility. How many black jelly beans are in the bowl now? Well, we're still seeing that there are challenges in terms of the number of black women, in particular, in leadership roles. And I think it's when we think about leadership roles, we're talking about, you know, senior executive roles. And we know that everyone has the capacity to be a leader. You know, the work that we do with Achieve More LLC, we focus in on diversity, equity, inclusion, access, accessibility. We focus in on leadership and we also focus in on well-being because we think that all of them are connected. And so I say all of that to say that the representation 
is not necessarily where we would like to see it and where it needs to be, except for when we are looked to to rescue or resolve an issue or sometimes to help, you know, further uh, the organization after having had some type of challenge. And so while we're breaking through that glass ceiling, right, or breaking through some of the structure and the foundation, we're also seeing that it's not in the ways that we would like to in terms of the number of women that are in these senior executive roles. And then often we are, um, there's this phenomenon in terms of falling off the cliff because when we get into these roles, we're not necessarily supported in the way in which we could and should be by boards, by other executives, and we end up really sacrificing our health and our well-being, which is, again, one of the issues for us within Achieve More LLC, which is why we see it all integrated. Um, The culture, the climate, the leadership, and the well-being is all really important in terms of the world of work today. We see what people are wanting and needing in terms of being respected and valued and feeling like they are listened to and can contribute for all the skills that they bring. And at the same time would like to have a balance or a um, sensible integration of work and home life. Yeah. Which is really important for women. And unfortunately we just don't see that value um, for women these days <laughs> and i think you and know we we're don't see it valued at all in the culture we don't right. see rest as what as i call it sacred rest yes. we don't see the importance of rest and balance in the culture we still have a right. culture that says the 80 hour week and you spend your weekends partially at work you know we all don't work at the white house we can take right. a break <laughs> Okay, we don't all yeah. have these jobs or a nuclear bomb will go off if you're not at work all the time. Okay? Exactly, exactly. So I, I, I also want to go back a little bit and let the audience know that you mentioned Achieve More LLC, and I neglected yes. to say that in your introduction, but that is Mariama's company. Uh, yeah. She's the CEO of Achieve More LLC, and um, right under, when we finish the podcast, you'll be able to get in touch with her, and we'll say that later also. Now, I was going through, well, first of all, I read this article that said only 4% of the women who sit, black women who sit in the C-suite, only 4% of the C-suite positions in this country are held by black women. Mm -hmm. And that definitely needs to be unshackled, as you were just said, as you Mm -hmm. just said. I went through uh, LinkedIn's you know, big professional thing where you can go in and look at everybody. So I had that subscription for a year and I went through looking for black women in leadership because as the audience knows right now, I'm an executive leadership coach and I focus on black women, now women of color, because I have a Puerto Rican women and two women who are Indian, like India, Indian, East Indian. Um, And they, I was looking for more women to approach about doing the coaching session with me, or at least knowing them. And I went through and I put in the demographic, you know, I wanted to be this age group. I wanted to live in these five cities. I wanted them to be in, I mean, I think I had eight cities, but they're the big cities. And it came back with a little over a million names. But 
the LinkedIn program will not allow you to break it down to gender or race, which I'm happy about. Okay. Mm-hmm. So I hired two young people to go through that close to 2 million names and find the pictures of black women who sat in senior leadership positions. Yeah. We came up with 250 mm. out of close to 2 million. It was pitiful. But what was also yeah. revealing, and I'll ask you about this, that a lot of the Black women are DEI. Mm. And back in when I was younger, the way to get in as a Black woman to a corporation was to go to HR. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You worked for Lockheed Martin, but you were in mm. HR. You didn't make any other mm-hmm. decisions past personnel. Is DEI becoming the HR of today for Black women to get in corporate America? I I don't necessarily believe so. I I think that it is one path. However, there are other paths. And what we have to remember is prior to the pandemic, DEI roles were at a negative 60, approximately negative 60%. So this is... So this phenomenon of hiring and then downsizing and then hiring again when there's an issue um, that needs attention within the country and then what we're seeing is the burnout and the downsizing again. It For those of us that have been in this industry um, working in leadership, DEIA, uh, HR, we have seen this roller coaster. And I think that's the other element to remember is that the the wavering commitment, <laughs> I'll say, of corporations, uh, the educational sector to diversity, equity, inclusion has just been that, has been wavering. Because if that were the case, then we wouldn't have seen a negative 60% higher rate in diversity, equity, inclusion roles. And then, of course, unfortunately, when George Floyd was murdered and all of the racial reckoning and conversations and new policies and the, the affirmation of a national holiday for Juneteenth, um, of which I feel a little conflicted about anyway, and we'll talk about that in a minute if we yeah. would like to go there. But, um, you know, and so we saw this huge surge again within HR and DEI roles and senior roles. And then now we're seeing a scaling back. So this wavering commitment, um, just like what we saw, you know, in 1997, that solid commitment to where we are right now um, is one of the reasons why we can't necessarily get farther faster uh, because of the, lack of consistent commitment and accountability. And I'll also remind us that there's lots of conversation about, you know, black women being among one of the most educated populations currently today, recognizing still that white women and Asian women um, do outpace us, but we have seen this increase, of course, where we are getting further ahead educationally but we're farther behind as it relates to really being in positions that allow us 
to further ourselves in terms of wealth. And when we talk about pay equity and those things that we know are important to really create wealth and advancement for people in the United States and also globally. Yeah. You were talking about the wavering commitment to DEIA. And in May of 2023, just a couple of months ago from this show's debut, this episode's debut, Texas passed legislation banning office and programs promoting DEIA at publicly funded universities and colleges. My first impression of reading that article was that um, it seems that Texas doesn't want their young people to know this. Is Mm -hmm. this tied to they also don't want their young people to be a part of the 1619 Project, where we tell the real history of this country? What are your thoughts? Oh, certainly. And we also know that, so I would say yes. We also know that there have been recent uh, slate of bills signed as well in Florida and, you know, other areas across the country. I have clients that work in the library system and literally where you have teachers, librarians being threatened with, uh, to be arrested, to be removed from their positions because they are trying to give people access to this information, our history. And I think that's the other piece is that we have to remember that it's all our history, the history of enslaved Africans and enslaved people and indigenous people whose lands were taken. Um, It's all part of our history. And so, to try to scale that history, to try to diminish that history, to try to whitewash that history um, or erase the history, we know that doesn't work either. Why? Because we saw these series of bans, you know, 15, 20, 20 years ago as well. So history is cyclical. And unless we continue to try to do something different, I'm not really sure how far we're going to get. You know, that that phrase that says you keep trying to do the same thing and expect different results. Yeah. Um, we've been yeah. here before. <laughs> yeah. And it's right? pretty we've much a pattern of the United States. States. And all of that. Yeah. Exactly. And it's pretty much a pattern of the United States history. We had yeah. the 13th Amendment, the 13th and 14th Amendment, which gave rights to freedom to Black people, gave the right to vote to Black men. And black men were being elected to public office, to the yes. Congress, and down through local areas. And that was from the late 1860s until 1877, when Rutherford B. Hayes brought, up, brought back federal troops from the South. And from yep. 1877 through the next 20 years, and then we end up with Plessy versus Ferguson, separate but equal, yes. and it was never <laughs> equal. It's never equal. We're still, yes, we can go to a water fountain now. Okay. But it's never equal. And so I think that we have to stay vigilant. You know, I just mentioned that only a third of the S&P 500 companies have DEIA programs, a third. So the people making the most money, having the biggest influence are not in this, are not in this. Yeah. So I'm, I'm concerned. I'm concerned. I'm concerned as I work with black women around their 
career trajectory and how many of them are uncomfortable in their workplaces. Literally how many of them don't want to work with companies run by white women. That that's people need to understand that where they yes. don't feel comfortable in that environment. So if the people who this is supposed to serve mm-hmm. continue to feel uncomfortable in the workplace, how is this going to work? Yeah, I mean and we saw as we started going back to work and as uh, companies asking people to come back to work and we're moving through the pandemic, we know that there were a significant number of black women, um, Latina women as well, but black women that exited the workforce Mm -hmm. and did not want to go and don't want to go back to work in terms of going into the office because of the issues of discrimination, lack of equity related to advancement, um, issues around bias, microaggressions, and the toll that that takes on one's personal health, one's mental health, you know, when we think about the concepts around well-being mm-hmm. and career, um, all of that are huge impacts. And so as we think about where we are with celebrating um, Juneteenth, the question is, are we really truly free? Yeah. And I think that that is a, and, and the dynamics that we continue to see that have perpetuated over time as it relates to the enslavement of Black and African people really, um, we really need to continue to do better. Because while, yes, we we have Juneteenth as a holiday, we still know, um, and, you know, again, Joya, that's why your podcast focuses in on being unshackled. Because there are so many areas where while we're making progress, it seems, in the educational realm, we still are very much shackled in terms of advancement, pay equity, and wealth. And then that we know also inhibits our capacity for generational wealth overall. Well said. I read an article in preparing for this interview that shocked me. I'm trying to make sure that in the research for this podcast and in living my life, that I read both sides of all articles, Mm -hmm. um, all arguments. And in this article, this person was very articulate that DEIA was a threat to his freedom of speech. Mm. So as we are preparing to do Juneteenth, and we're right up against 4th of July, how would you respond to a white man saying that his ability to have freedom of speech is threatened by DEIA? Yeah, I believe that diversity, equity, inclusion, access, and accessibility give us, the, to me, the greatest opportunity to 
engage in dialogue. It gives us the greatest opportunity to learn what are the key issues, what are the key concepts, what are the terms that we could and should be using that allow us to be in community and be in solidarity, um, as Heather McGee would say, and um, really think about being in unity. And so if we want to talk about free speech, then we can talk about free speech. Let's do it in a way that allows us to engage in the discussion and in the dialogue and be able to have open and honest dialogue because I think that diversity, equity, inclusion, access gives us that pathway. But if don't we, we don't need to have out. diversity, equity, inclusion, access, then we don't have necessarily the words. We don't have the context. We don't have the history. And we have to remember that as people, we all want to connect to something. We all belong somewhere or want to figure out where we belong. And so in order to do that, we've got to go down this historical path. People have to understand where they come from, where their ancestors came from, regardless of what race or ethnicity you are. And that serves as an undergird for the big C, right? The, the big C in terms of culture, which when we talk about values, beliefs, language, um, our our institutions, all of that. So I think it gives us the greatest opportunity to be in alignment and in engagement and in unity and solidarity with one another and gives us a common nomenclature. Is from what you just said, once again, well stated, from what you just said, is not the core purpose of DEIA is to help white people, power people, and even white people who have no power, reframe their narrative. And I'll give you this example of a friend of mine who is in who is an attorney, a psychologist, and now works in DEIA with all of those mm. skills, black woman, gave a lecture on the importance of this inclusion, conversation, openness, space, mm-hmm. expanding our horizon, the, the the support of the economy, how much more money we can make if mm-hmm. we were to have these conversations <laughs> and realize the end result. And she said after she gave her speech, a white woman came up to her and thanked her and applauded her and just praised the speech. And she went on to say, that she supported everything there, but she is afraid whether or not her sons will ever get a job. She saw a threat. How do you respond to that? I, I believe that people really need to understand and look at, look at the data. You can go to the Census Bureau. You can go a few uh they do wonderful research. You, if you look at the data, we know that there. We know that individuals who identify as white or Caucasian are still 
a majority currently. We also know that that is going to shift and change. We're going to be much more multicultural in terms of our statistics and our demographics over the next, you know, 20, 30 years. And so I believe there is a narrative that Mm -hmm. people are being, are believing because it's what they're hearing um, from the media, from the press, or what they might be reading and some other um, avenues. But when you look at the data, the data doesn't suggest that. The reason, and I think people really have to talk about the real reasons why or why not someone might get a job, regardless of what um, race or ethnicity they are. And most often it's connected to either education the educational path that they have elected to go into, as well as what kind of economic status and or wealth they're connected to as well. So my thing is, let's look at the real issues versus the cover issues and the the narrative that people want us to believe. And I think that that's absolutely critical. That is critical. And I am so inspired by your optimism and mostly your clarity. And I think in order for these shifts to happen in business, thus will trickle down to our personal lives. Yeah. We need people like you who are optimistic and calm. Unlike (laughs) me, who was like... My hair's on fire. The hat's on fire. Oh my God. What is my grandson going to do? He'll be back in slavery by the time he, he's like three. What is he going to do? Because there will be, it'll be 1877 again. That's what, that's how I'm feeling about it. I'm not feeling so optimistic. And I want that optimism, which is why I hang out with you. <laughs> and and I'm, I truly believe that it's possible, you know, for all of the issues and the challenges that, you know, within the United States and just overall the world in, in terms of when we think about colonialism and what that has done, you know, to the world and the where we are currently um, and the foundation that that we have been founded on is, in essence, you know, issues around power and privilege and economics. And we have to really grapple with what that means as a country and how, if we truly want to reimagine what the founders um, and our Bill of Rights and our Constitution says, then we have an opportunity to reimagine that. Yeah. Rather than try to go back and do things that we've already done, like the book bans, like these restrictive policies and procedures, uh, you know, and processes that we're seeing, like we've already done that. Like, can we think of something new and original to do? And so that's like what I think. Right? Like that's what I think. Yeah. <laughs> and that's what I think diversity, equity, inclusion, and accessibility gives us an opportunity to paint a new path. It gives us an opportunity to discover people in new and different ways um, across a variety of identity and social characteristics that who wouldn't want that for the future? And so I think we have to really elevate 
our conversation. We have to elevate our dialogue. We have to elevate our accountability. And that's the other issue when we talk about, you know, are these trainings really working and why diversity training doesn't work um, in some people's perspectives. Part of it is because, number one, just the educational way in which we do training and learning, right? We know that, yes, there's some ways that, yes, we can go through and we can watch something on a screen and take in those concepts. The actual application for learning doesn't really happen at its highest levels until you start dialoguing about it, until you start applying it and actually putting it into action. So I can sit and watch a 90-minute session on whatever it is, whether it's unconscious bias or if it's on uh, you know issues around disability awareness or what have you. But we have to be in dialogue and engagement and actually applying the concepts and be willing to make mistakes and be willing to own mistakes and correct the mistakes that we make, right? It's through that interaction that the learning and the change is going to happen, which is, again, when I think back to 1997 and the opportunity that I had to be a part of the one America initiative um, in the Rochester community and then just continued my work on from there, it was very pivotal. And for me, also a pivotal trip to South Africa just after apartheid um, in 1998. And as they were working through and going through their truth and reconciliation hearings, and I had an opportunity to actually sit in a truth and reconciliation hearing and mm-hmm. be a part of that piece of South Africa's history. And then we see what that has meant for um, Canada and others to be taking the lead around having true conversations about what has happened and how we tell the truth and how we can transform from the truth. But it's got to happen through conversation. So for those that say their free speech is being hampered or for those that are fearful about whether or not their child's going to have a job, let's actually be in dialogue about the truth and get to a place of transformation through the truth and not rolling back and trying to cover up the truth. Because then that doesn't get us as Black women any farther, faster. Thank you. But I do want to circle back to you said that you thought Juneteenth was a weird holiday. <laughs> what were your thoughts? I'm sure I yeah, can chime in so, on that one. Yeah. So for me, it's um, it's a holiday that yes, we recognize it, and you know, I live in the Washington D.C. metro area, just outside of D.C. D.C. has mm-hmm. been celebrating emancipation for for a number of years for yeah. for a long time. And so it's it's an opportunity for us to kind of reframe what emancipation means. And it's also a moment of sadness for me and a reflection for those that we have lost and, quite frankly, those that we have not really truly honored. Mm-hmm. Because we haven't really been willing to dig in deep to the truth 
like we've seen in South Africa and Canada and other places um, throughout the world to really kind of own and rectify some of what has happened and or all of what has happened. So I feel very conflicted sometimes about this holiday and I take it as a as a time to, you know, attend either online educational programs or attend in-person educational programs as a chance to reflect, remember, um, and celebrate what can be. Not necessarily to me celebrate the 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 emancipation of. Um, slaves, because I don't think, and enslaved people, because I think that there is not a lot of um, genuineness because we haven't dealt with the true essence of what has happened, why it's happened, and what are we doing as a society and within our institutions and our policies um, to really rectify and right the wrongs for enslaved people. And their descendants. And their descendants, thank you. Yes, absolutely. And us. Yeah. I, I thoroughly agree with everything you said. And once again, I will point out that you're always very level-headed and calm <laughs> and mature because my objection to Juneteenth looks like this. Are we celebrating because white people finally came to their senses and realized they had to free us in Texas? That's not a day of celebration. That's a day of like, what the hell? Right. So that's that's right. my reaction to it. With yours is so much more mature and and well, encompassed our ancestors and right. And I think also to even tell the truth about it, like we know that yes, Juneteenth happened, but we also know that there were many people across the United States who were who were still enslaved, and it took many years for the for for the whole system to really um, you know be be to really evolve. Right. And so while, yes, we are celebrating or we now see this as a national holiday, some companies still don't even recognize it. Right. Some companies right. still don't work. even recognize Martin Luther King holiday. Some companies don't recognize all of the other federal holidays. And yeah. so I think that's Except that's Fourth the of other... July and Christmas. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Right. Well, exactly. Yeah. And so I think, yeah. you know, that in itself also, when we talk about DEI, right? We recognize that we have a very strong Christian leaning to the foundation of our country. Mm -hmm. And so how does that then allow us to be open to those who celebrate and honor other religions? Yeah. Exactly. You know, and so, I mean, it's, there's so many opportunities within each of these areas that we could dive into. And that's where it's like, to me, I see opportunity rather than a scaling back or rather than a threat. You know, to me, I see it's, it's just more opportunity to learn and grow and advance. And that's what we need in this world. If we are going to be a world 
where we are advancing and continuing to be innovative, that innovation has to come through learning and also learning by owning our mistakes and and getting better. Yeah. So to me, it's all connected and we we can't keep talking out of two sides of our mouths. (laughs) Exactly. I want to thank you, CEO Mariama Boney, for joining us. Mariama is the CEO of Achieve More LLC. She has a path that took her to the DEIA pool of help and freedom and education and listening. I have thoroughly enjoyed this conversation, and I hope our audience does also. I appreciate you being here with me today. Thank you. Thank you so much, Joya. And I wish everyone a good uh, Juneteenth, however they decide to celebrate it, as well as we know, uh, July 4th holiday as well. Thank you. Yes. Well, I'm with Frederick Douglass. I ignore July 4th, but I'm like, that's another show. (laughs) (laughs) You have to. (laughs) Yeah. Yes. Yes. And you know that this show is dedicated to my hero, Harriet Tubman, who I'm sure wasn't at any 4th of July celebrations. No, (laughs) no, not at all. Not at all. I'm an upstate New Yorker, so I get it. Yeah. Yes. Yes. So thank you again for joining Unshackled Leadership and Lantern for Black Women. I appreciate you being here, Mariama. Thank you. Thanks. Okay. Good day, everyone. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Thank you for joining me here for this episode of Unshackled Leadership, a Lantern for Black Women. I hope you learned something here that will empower you. Now, if you want to reach me for individual coaching, you can find me on LinkedIn or at my website in the Public Eye Communications. And I invite you to subscribe to us. You can find us on Apple, Spotify, or on YouTube. And please leave a comment. I would love to hear from you. I'm Joya Jefferson-Nuri. I'm an ICF Certified Executive Leadership Coach. Thanks for joining me.